Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. Everybody and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host Justin Mac, and I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm excited, Sid. It's another one of my favorite episodes. Uh, medical questions. These are your favorites. I, I love doing these, yeah. except for sometimes. I mean, there have been individual ones that I have really loved doing, but th- these are always a, a hoot. And I feel like I learn a lot too. Oh, and it's nice to be able to feel like you're connecting with our, our listeners a little bit. It's it's fun. You it know, is so, fun. Social media basically collapsing all around us. Um, I, it's oh. nice to hear read the emails. You know, yeah, hear from listeners. No, that's a great point. That was couched, the, couched in some sadness there, but that was a good. There's nothing was, sad about social media collapse. It's good. It's good that it's all going away. I think that it's better. Let's just all shake hands and write letters. Period. That's well, for those of you that don't know. That's punctuation. I learned it in school before social media ruined everything. Uh, I I, I don't also, necessarily feel the way I'm saying. I'm just, I was going to say I you're just on a whole social media. I'm just thing. Uh, some some of those think some of those it, platforms aren't usable anymore, and I'm not missing them. That's I, all I'm saying. I think it's a nuanced topic uh-huh. and not really the purview of this show. No, it's not. Um, not either of our areas of expertise, really. It's my area of expertise. <laughs> I'm on uh, the internet all I, the time. This is a weird question episode. I love our weird qu- question episodes, too. It's it's close, though. If we do a really gross one, I like those. I like really grody ones. Uh, I'm going to ask you some questions, and then I just, off the top of your head, just spit the first answer that comes to your mind. Okay. okay. Hello. I have a bunch of weird medical questions about blood and organ donation. If I donate blood, am I giving away the immunity I gain from getting vaccines? Or does my body remember everything the vaccine taught it about fighting COVID? I feel like even if I was giving away some of my immunity, it would still be worth it because someone sick enough to need a blood transfusion would probably still need the help. Uh, it's pretty easy to find places to donate blood, but how would someone become an organ donor for an unknown stranger? I've heard that after someone donates part of their liver, the portion that was donated grows back. Does that mean that someone could be a liver donor more than once? Wow, that's a lot. It, it is a lot. I, and I guess we could have taken them one by one, but um, I thought that these were all important things to address. One, Mm -hmm. yes, you do have circulating antibodies. So when you get a vaccine, your body makes antibodies against whatever antigen, whatever piece of a virus or bacteria has been introduced into your body. And again, it is not the actual thing that can infect you and cause illness. Right. It can't. It's just like a piece of it. Right. Or like the remains of it somewhat living but not 
living and you. can't cause infection. Yep. Anyway, the point is you make antibodies in response to that, antibody specific for this invader. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, if, you know, if they're in there and you took blood straight out of somebody and put it straight into somebody else. And sometimes we can do things to eliminate things like antibodies. It depends on what you need from the blood, right? Sometimes we clean the blood, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes we rem- and sometimes we just give certain pieces of the blood, right? Yeah, they so, use a centrifuge to separate the plasma mm-hmm. from the junk. From the junk. From the cells, sure. From the, the, the actual cells in there, yeah. I don't no, know. but there, we can we can process blood to remove things like antibodies, certainly. But like in in a situation which I've been in before, where blood was taken out of my body and then put directly into another person, mm-hmm. I mean, still warm. Mm-hmm. Um, then yeah, the antibodies that are in my blood are going into the other person who's receiving that blood. Mm. That does happen. Okay. But you got lots of them. Okay. Not all the antibodies, right? I, I think if you're trying to, you know come up with a theoretical situation and also your bo- your body also has memory cells who will re- that will remember how to make those antibodies moving okay. forward so Does but that, it, so it, but it wouldn't would that so you're not going to lessen your immunity by donating blood would it temporarily help the other person and then stop helping um or would it not be strong enough to move the needle it i, I, I think this is all very what, theoretical yeah but. you're talking about what is the titer meaning the amount of antibodies per whatever unit of blood. You know what I mean? I I think it's a little bit theoretical. Certainly, if there were enough in there, some, that would help some. But the the important point, the take-home point is you are not losing your immunity from a vaccine by donating blood. So please, if you're you're able to donate blood, it is a a great, important thing to do. Um, In terms of organ donation, a lot of people, uh, especially, and I don't know if this is a outside of the U.S. thing, in the U.S., when you get your driver's license, yeah, you sign up for the thing. It's like you can a, a check, check a box. Bar. Yeah, box and then on check. your driver's license, it says if you're an organ donor. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also go to organdonor.gov and click on your state, and they'll tell you exactly the process and how to sign up and register online. If you are an organ donor, um, you can always change it at the DMV. You know, in yeah. your in your area, so so it is a different um, process to become an organ donor. Um, and uh, in terms of donating your liver more than once, <laughs> um, very generous. Can there I just is, say your your body cells can regenerate for sure. We make more cells all the time. We're constantly. This is actually we're going to talk about that in a later question that we've got it pairs well. Um, but you couldn't continue to give away not enough that you can continue to give away pieces of your liver indefinitely. I would not recommend it. It is a wonderful thing if you can do it, and certainly you can do it safely. It's an okay thing. Like, we we have ways of taking just enough to help someone else, but not too much to harm you. But it still is is risky. So I would never recommend double double donating from one organ. That's probably right. too much. All right. Uh, here's another question. Dear Sydney and Justin, I was listening to one of the many podcasts of my rotation when an ad came on with a person talking about uh, – with a supposed doctor saying that – their cold sucked, and they'd like some antibiotics. The doctor said the antibiotics wouldn't help and might make it worse, which feels incorrect, but I'm a plebe without knowledge. The doctor then suggested they should try over-the-counter medicines like Mucinex, which was highly suspicious since the ad was paid for by Mucinex. <laughs> Regardless of any feelings about Mucinex, which I wouldn't mind hearing your opinions on, I'm wondering if antibiotics uh, actually do make colds worse. So That's from Kit. Uh, I Antibiotics don't necessarily make colds worse. Um, it is true that if 
And and this is really, so a lot of the kind of ick that many of us might have right now this time of year, mm-hmm. you know, cough, congestion, runny nose, sore throat, some maybe some body aches, maybe some fevers and chills, all that stuff taken together, most of the time it's a virus. And most of the time with the virus, although not always, as we have learned in recent years, most of the time with the virus, it is a self-limiting illness. You will get sicker for a few days and then you'll get better and then that will be it. And some of them are longer, some of them are shorter. Certainly they can be more severe depending on your underlying health conditions. So I'm not saying viruses are never a big deal, um, but a lot of the times supportive care is all we recommend, right? Chicken soup, fluids, um, over-the-counter medicines like Mucinex are certainly, you know, can be helpful with the symptoms Mm -hmm. to help, you know, because it's no fun. Even if you're getting better, it still feels bad. Um, So... I, I would question um, if it's an ad for Mucinex. I don't know that I would ever take advice, <laughs> medical advice for that anyway. Um, but as far as antibiotics making things worse, not typically. Mm-hmm. I mean, the bigger problem is that it's unnecessary. If you have a virus, an antibiotic, by definition, is working against a bacteria. So it's not going to make any difference. Now, there are some situations where even if we suspect it might be a virus, we might give an antibiotic like COPD exacerbations, people who have a chronic lung disease and get flares of that. Sometimes we do use antibiotics in certain situations. And there may be reasons why we'd be more likely to um, hedge our bets and give you an antibiotic just in case. Mm -hmm. Because it's really time that tells us the difference. Mm. It's not so much the symptoms. It's how long they go on and if they get better on their own. Mm. Because in the beginning, they can look pretty similar. Okay. Um, but in terms of it making anything worse, I mean, I think unless you have a reaction like a rash or it gives you some other thing, right? Like antibiotics can cause diarrhea even when they're working appropriately. So outside of those things, most of the time, antibiotics aren't going to make things worse. Uh, thank you. Hi, Sydney and Justin. As a listener to your podcast, I'm fascinated by pseudoscience and this is reflected in my TikTok algorithm. One of the things that keeps popping up on my uh, For You page is vagus nerve regulation to lower cortisol and improve the body's general stress response. Usually the regulation happens through some kind of stretching, but another common approach seems to be sitting completely still and just staring to the left and right without moving your head to stretch your eye muscles. Are the claims about regulating the vagus nerve based in science or does it just feel nice to move around and stretch occasionally? This is one of those where it's like, there's some truth underneath this, and it's an emerging, like it's an area where people are still researching and learning. Yeah. And so there there are some elements of things that are scientific, but then I think maybe like TikTok users have taken it into that pseudoscientific wellness, quote unquote, space mm-hmm. where like, we don't really know if it works, but this seems pretty harmless. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where a lot of that stuff starts to land. So your vagus nerve, just so you know, like you you really do have, that really is a real thing. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, that, what, it's what you need at the craps table uh, to make sure that you don't fold it's, your cards uh, at the craps table I before it's time. You need uh-huh. your Vegas nerve. You need your Vegas nerve. It's, it's <laughs> got an no A. cards and craps. I'm sorry. Vegas with an A. So you've got these bundles of nerve fibers that run um, on both sides of your body from your brain stem all the way down uh, your neck, and they control lots of things. They're down into your torso, and they um, they touch a lot of internal organs. They're part of the parasympathetic nervous system, which, like, if you think about your sympathetic nervous system as, like, your fight or flight sort mm-hmm. of thing, your parasympathetic is, like, all the more relaxing things, like digestion. <laughs> um <laughs> 
But anyway, it's part of that. And so it has a lot to do with picking up information from these organs and transmitting it back and forth to the brain. Your your vagus nerve is doing a lot of stuff that you have no control over. That's the important thing to know, right? I hate that. It's not like a nerve that you're sending a signal from your brain to your finger to like, you know, flip somebody off. It's a nerve that (laughs) (laughs) it's a nerve that's doing its own thing, right? Right. Okay. The idea uh one that it can not have great tone. That is like a medically founded thing. There are times, um, okay, when they look at your heart rate, your heart rate should increase and decrease as you breathe in and out. And the more variability in that is actually a good sign of good vagal tone and it's associated with good cardiovascular health. Whereas if there's not a lot of variability there, it's associated with poor cardiovascular health. So we know there is something to that, right? There is something to vagal tone. I think where you start to get into pseudoscience is some of the stuff that they're telling you to do. We don't really have any good evidence that those specific, like the stretching and the moving your head and those sorts of things. There's no evidence right now that those necessarily are going to do something. Um, Certainly, this is an area of research, and we may at some point learn that, that you know, your stress response and your cortisol, that all this does play in together in a way that you can personally affect Right, that's the yeah. big question. So yes, there's realness. There's realness. Is but it stretching feels like... going to change it long term to affect your health or just make you feel better in the moment? I don't think we know that yet. I think if it makes you feel better in the moment, go for it. Right. I mean, I, but it does well, sound yeah. like, but it does sound like there's a lot of other ways to manage your stress. If you're going to put energy towards something, that seems like maybe not the best application. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think that's where a lot of the doctors that I was reading a lot of opinions on this, and they're saying, like, it's an emerging area of research. Certainly, there's a lot to study. If stretching makes you feel better, it's hard to discourage people from doing something that is typically as benign as stretching. You never want to say anything's 100%. I was told recently that the U.S. is one of the only countries where people don't get dewormed regularly, and that in other places, it's just a standard part of healthcare, like an annual checkup. Should I be getting a dewormer? (laughs) Do I need a... Script, or is there something OTC I can get? The person I heard from said this was backed up by people in the country she lives in, but also known for having questionable information and opinions about things. So, Sid, deworming. Uh, so I mean, <laughs> I don't know that we always refer to it as deworming necessarily. I, I mean, it is accurate. It is t- totally accurate um, because we typically use the word deworming to talk about species other than human species. <laughs> I, I don't know. So. Yes, there have been campaigns to do this. We have done this in different countries all over the world throughout history um, as like a way to try and alleviate. We know that a high percentage of this population probably does carry this parasite. And so we'll just give everybody this dose of a medicine that would kill the parasite because the it's not particularly risky. It's cheap. And this will eliminate, you know, the, I mean, there are places where it's you know, 60% or more. And so the thought was this was helpful. So certainly um, I've I've seen this done routinely on some of the medical trips I've been on abroad where everybody's just kind of given this medication. And I would not advocate for just doing that haphazardly ever. Um, But health organizations, you know, across the globe have done this uh, in areas where they know there's a big parasite burden. We don't currently do it in the U.S., although we did back in the early 1900s in the South because the American hookworm was a big problem. So we did do routine, quote-unquote, deworming in the American South at one point. And there was some evidence afterwards that maybe it improved, like, school performance and job performance and stuff like that um, because a lot of people were chronically ill 
anemic, mm. undernourished because of having a parasite. Huh. So we have some evidence that they're effective. There's conflicting evidence, though, because there have been other places where they've done these mass deworming campaigns. And afterwards, it hasn't really changed the overall health necessarily. Um, so it is a little bit controversial. Should we be doing it everywhere? Uh, we did it after um, after the World Wars, people returning. Oh, so not over, not abroad, always, yeah. but yeah, there were certain programs targeted to like deworm people. But so yes, this does happen some places, sometimes specifically targeted by a health organization who knows that there is a problem there. But no, you do not typically. I will speak generally. If you're living in the United States, we do not typically um, need to go seek routine deworming just as a you know precaution. If you're having stomach symptoms or any other symptoms that concern you, then please go get checked out. Mm. Got it. Okay, we'll do. Uh, let's see here. I feel too weird asking anyone I know about this, so here it goes. That's why we are here. That That is what we strive for. Hmm. For context, I'm assigned female at birth and don't have any medical conditions that cause facial hair growth. Since puberty, I've always had one or two chin hairs, but since I've entered my 20s, they have increased in both number and length to the point where they become noticeable to others and even seem to be growing. What is the reason for this? Is it hormonal? Thanks to you both for a wonderful podcast. Take care, Jay. Uh, now, again, speaking generally, um, because, yes, there are specific reasons why you might have more hair growth, especially like facial hair growth, um, if you're a cis woman. There certainly are medical conditions that cause that. And as always, if you're concerned, you have symptoms, you please talk, talk to your own healthcare provider. Generally speaking, I will say it is known that just shifts in hormones throughout your lifetime will cause changes in hair growth and can definitely cause more um, terminal hair growth, meaning like the thicker, darker hairs that people sometimes want removed from their face, right? So definitely hormonal shifts are responsible. If there's anything that creates higher levels of androgens, that class of sex hormone, anything like that, we would uh, we would start to see increased hair growth in that facial pattern. Um it's big shifts at puberty, big shifts maybe around a pregnancy, big shifts at in the in menopausal time because these are all times where your hormone levels are shifting. Um, but it is it is something that is incredibly common and is often normal. Although mm. again, I don't want to say it's always normal because you know there sure. are some of us out here who have PCOS, uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and that is also associated with increased facial hair growth. So. Hi, Sydney and Justin. I'm in the parentheticals in this one. I don't I don't love how that feels. Sorry about that. That's all right. Can people sneeze while sleeping? Can we cough while sleeping and not wake up? Uh, love the pod. Thanks, Holland. Now, I can say concretely about coughing, yes, because we have heard our kids do it from their bedrooms, right? Uh, but are they asleep when that's Ooh, happening? That's, that's a good the question. question. No? No. You are a lot of times if you sneeze or cough in your sleep. So they're not asleep. <laughs> you are well, you wake up just barely. Enough to cough. You and then... enter into the lightest, you know, you basically wake you're in the lightest stage of sleep or just barely awake, basically. In that in that kind of space, <laughs> that liminal space, uh, you exist for a moment and cough or sneeze and then go back to sleep. It's and like me probably... in like me in trigonometry class. It's just like <laughs> And you probably have no memory of that when you wake up the next morning. Most people don't. But, yeah, you're waking up, so, which is why, um, especially like coughing. I mean, I don't think most of us outside of specific kind of anomalous situations aren't sneezing all night. 
But if you have something acutely or chronically that makes you cough at night, it's so disruptive because you're waking up a bunch of little times that you don't even know about. So you feel even worse the next day, right? Because you're really tired because you never got to go through all those sleep cycles that you needed to. But no, you cannot cough while you are actually asleep. Did for sleeping, I'm, I'm assuming? Did for sneezing. Sorry, yes, sneezing. you cannot cough or sneeze while you are asleep. Uh, hey, let's take a quick break, and then I have more questions for you. Do, do you mind? Can you? No, nah, we need to head to, head to the billing department anyway. Oh, okay. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got in two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. If you're black, you probably love you some Paramore, huh? Or what about the TV show Golden Girls? Ginger Ale? Daytime television? Don't lie. I know you love at least one of them. 
I'm Sequoia Holmes, pop culturist and host of Black People Love Paramore. Contrary to the title, it is not a podcast about the band Paramore. Each episode, I, along with the special guest co-host, dissect one pop culture topic that mainstream media doesn't necessarily associate with Black people, but we know we like. Tune in every other Thursday to the podcast that's dedicated to helping Black people feel more seen. Black People of Paramore is now on the Maximum Fun Network. Check out the most recent episode featuring Shar Jassel today. Throughout history, sirens have captured men's attention, enticed men with their feminine wiles, and fulfilled men's primal needs. The sirens allure uh, persists. They have not. Unless the primal need is I need to be smashed on the rocks. Yeah, sm- smash me. Smash me, mommy. Smash me, mama. I smash me, mommy. <laughs> The sirens alone. <laughs> Why do we do strand. this to ourselves? Strand me, baby. Strand, strand me, me, baby. So, yeah, this is my brother, my brother, and me from Maximum Fun on Mondays. It's just like that. Just like that, but more, it's just like that, but more of it. There's, there's just more of that. Okay, we're back. More questions. How do I tell my doctor I went back to a previous prescription using leftovers versus the one she changed me to? I know I went against medical advice to drugs I should have tossed, and I'm dreading a lecture or being removed as a patient. For context, I'm transgender and switched by care to her roughly six months ago. I've been using estradiol, estradiol? Estradiol. Estradiol injections, but she switched me to patches to reduce the clotting risk. Three years before HRT, I had a pulmonary embolism, so this is a very valid concern. I hate patches. I hate them. So when the insurance ran out from losing my job, I switched back to the injections as I have months of supplies left over. They're so much easier. My levels are stable and in range, and I'm accepting of the extra risk, but I have no idea how to explain this to my doctor, and it takes months and months to get into a new gender care clinic. Thank you. Sorry for the long question. Stephanie, how can we help Stephanie here? What's up? Um, I think that it's such a – the easy answer, and this is what I don't want to – I don't want to be. I think a lot of times in healthcare we – even when we know how how problematic and broken our system is in this country, is which I'm, is the system I can speak of, um, and how difficult it is for certain populations of patients to get appropriate compassionate care, and the trans community being one of the best examples of of that limited access and all the barriers there are to care. Um, it's easy for me to say, "Well, just be honest with your doctor, um, and it'll be okay." And I don't I don't want to be ignorant to those concerns. Um, because there are a lot of times where I know you are honest with your doctor and that backfires and you do get, um, I would say patronized is the best that you doctors fall into that like, well, you should know better and right, you right, shouldn't right. and, you, you know, and treat you like a child. Um, I think that's why it's really important to find a provider that you can have that honest relationship with and that you can trust. Mm-hmm. And that's really difficult when you're limited to how many there may be, especially in your area. Sure. I, I speak from experience in this area. There are not many, very many of us who provide that that sort of gender-affirming care. Mm-hmm. Um, I always advocate telling your doctor the truth. I, I will say most of the time, um, just being able to take better care of you is important. And if you have a provider who's already, you know, practicing gender-affirming care, you would hope that they would be in that camp. Um, anytime I know that a patient is not maybe doing what we had agreed on before, doing something different, the sooner I know that and I can help them troubleshoot whatever concerns come with that, the better care I can take of them. And then I feel like our next visit isn't a waste because sometimes I worry that then they come in 
and I find out that what I thought we were doing isn't what we were doing. Right. And now it's like Groundhog Day. We're having the same visit all over again. And I want to know because if it's not working, I want to know and I want to help you. Yeah. Um, and I would hope your provider would feel the same. I would hope that that honesty um, and, as, and again, as long as you you're an adult, if you understand the risks and benefits and you've made an informed decision about what's best for your health care with the advice of your physician, then you should be able to do that. And I, I, I believe that especially the majority of us who practice gender affirming care would say the same thing. So, so I would encourage you to be honest. I do think you will get better care in the long run if you're able to be honest. Uh, is there any benefit to shaving slash not shaving your armpit hair? I know hair is designed to keep you warm or keep things like your eyelashes and nose hair. Uh, but I wouldn't think of your armpits as being a spot that would lose heat like the top of your head does. So what exactly does it help with? And beyond societal reasons, are there any reasons for it? Like, does it make you less smelly or does it do the opposite? That's from squeaky clean boy and not smelly at all, I promise, from Los Angeles. Um, I thought this was a really interesting question because I couldn't come up with anything off the top of my head. Now, I don't know what any benefits would be to shaving. Honestly, outside of, I mean, out, and this is an example. Benefits people, of having the hair, not benefits the, of shaving. Benefits, benefits of, of like, shaving. Well, the benefit, I think what they're asking is, is there a benefit to the hair oh. that the shaving no, I, gets rid of? Like, do I we need the hair? Uh, I, again, outside of keeping you warm, no. I don't know any reason you need the hair. I will say that there are risks and benefits to both. And the only risk to having hair, really, that I could find or think of is the like— The little freshness fairies that you get from the deodorant and the well, clings there's those. to it. And you get the little— I mean, if you don't have hair, you can't get lice. Yeah? Uh, anywhere. That's it, like— that's like so, I mean, such a wild thing to say. Though, well, I was trying know. to think of a health benefit. If you don't have hair, like specifically like pubic hair, yeah, then you can't get genital lice. And if a frog had wings, he wouldn't <laughs> bump his butt when he hops. I'm what just saying, health benefit wise, that's about it. My point is <laughs> there, but there, but on the flip side, like, what's the advantage of keeping the hair? I think it's that in the hair removal process, you can get you know razor burn or folliculitis, mm -hmm. minor skin infections, that kind of thing. You can cut yourself. I don't know. You get dry skin. I know that, like, when I shave my legs less, they're not so dry. And when I shave them more, they end up being drier. And, I, you know, that probably means we shouldn't. I, I, I don't could, know. I Evolutionarily, should I be shaving in the first place? I don't know of any real benefit to keeping the hair, you, but I don't know. I certainly don't know of any real benefit to getting rid of it either. I think it's really a societal, cultural, your own preference beauty thing. I don't know um, if this makes I wouldn't it, put hygiene into it. Yeah. I don't know if this makes sense, but it's never stopped me from saying something before. Do there I you could maybe make an argument. I wonder if uh, it's not an argument, it would be scientifically provable. But like uh people who shave their faces, uh, you often read when you're like learning about shaving that you don't want to exfoliate uh, at, uh, at close to the same time as you shave. Like you don't want to do both on the areas that you shave because you are exfoliating with the razor. You are shaving right. a layer of dead skin cells and it's like that is exfoliation. I, I do wonder if maybe if like by shaving your pits, you're removing dead skin cells that could trap moisture or odor by like exfoliating with the razor. 
Yeah. Maybe? I mean, Probably that's, nothing that's you possible, get by, like, but like, I wash my, on your pits, right? I was going to say, I wash my armpits, whether mm-hmm. I, whether I shave that day or not, I, I wash my armpits. Yeah. So I think. I'm, I'm absolutely operating like the theoretical field. Yeah. I have no idea. Well, and I mean, I think, I, I think you could get in, I, I'll speak in generalities. I think generally shaving is purely a, I mean, it's, it's what you're comfortable with, what you prefer. It's a cultural thing, certainly. Um, but I don't off the top of my head. Now, certainly if you have, um, there are a lot of cases where we'll tell patients not to shave if they're more prone to infections, if they have more difficulty healing, we may discourage you from shaving in specific instances. Um, Mm -hmm. generally speaking, I, I think it's okay to shave or not. Uh, Avery says, I've always heard this thing about how you're a whole new person every seven years because your body replaces cells. Is that true? If it is true, then why aren't? Transplanted organs turn into native organs. Thank you. Um, I like that question because it was like a ship of Theseus kind of question. It is like the ship of Theseus, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're, in, we're into semantics and philosophical territory at this point. Yeah. No, I, I mean, okay, so your body cells do regenerate, generally speaking. It's not on a seven-year cycle. <laughs> yeah. All of your cells regenerate at different rates. Some of our cells die and we grow new cells really quickly. Fast-growing cells, like um, everything that lines your mucous membranes, like from your mouth all the way mm-hmm. down your GI tract, those are faster-growing cells or or hair cells, certainly. Um, there are other parts of our body that regenerate much slower, like skeletal muscle, like the cells that make up our skeletal muscles. Some parts that don't at all. And there are parts that don't regenerate completely, and so then you get scarred areas of tissue where it can't fully regrow, right? We worry about that with... Uh, damage to the heart, like from a heart attack, and certainly from strokes or any other damage to the brain. Now, we are learning every day that nerves can do things we didn't used to think they could do. We used to say things like, you know, brain, the nerves in your brain, that tissue, neurons, aren't going to regenerate at all. Well, we're learning that they do regenerate in a way that we didn't quite understand. Mm. Um, But it's different in every body tissue. So yes, you're new. It's all new at different rates. Um, you're losing skin cells constantly, not every seven years. Every okay, time what about you, bones? All the cells are, re- I mean, everything is regenerating or turning teeth? over at some rate. Yeah, very slowly Even in teeth? some situations and longer in other. But all of our body cells are always. Teeth aren't cells, though. Not all of our body cells. Teeth aren't cells, are they? The cells make up everything, honey. Okay, cool. Um, well, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, some are. Some are mineral complexes and there are cells. Okay. Okay. There are cells all through your body. Right. But then there are also like. I'm just saying if I get a cavity. Other non-cellular If I get a cavity, molecules. I can't wait it out. The no, tooth, you can't. It's not going to grow back. <laughs> no, the tooth will erode away, I guess, eventually what I'm would getting be my to, guess. What I'm getting at is I'm that. I'm not a dentist. Don't ask me about Same teeth. bones, different blood. That's what I'm saying. Your body is regenerating slowly at different rates. Um, but Except an for the organ, skeleton, which is inside and powering the whole thing. And why? it is stalwart and stays with you <laughs> why, no matter what. Why is an organ not becoming you, though? What? The organ won't become like like the other tissues in your body, like the other native tissues. Yeah, nobody can be me, Sydney. Well, do you know why? Because I'm an original. Because what's it reproducing from? The, oh, the- The donor cells. The donor cells. The the, the cells from the donor. That's why- So the organ will always be genetically the donor organ. We've had some friends that have uh, had to do, uh, well, one friend who had to have organ replacement, and he's going to be on therapy for his whole life because of that, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's always going to be a a foreign organ. mm -hmm. So that you don't reject it. Foregan. Yeah. Okay. Uh, wow, we got to move. Okay, listen, 
This is one I really need to know. And okay. I ask you to get ready 12 questions, but I don't know that we're going to have time to do all 12 questions. Okay. Hi, Dr. Sydney and Justin. I have a weird medical question. Is gut health really a thing? I see a lot of stuff marketed for it, and it reminds me of things that are marketed to detoxify, which we know is a scam, and attempts to research uh, tend to just give me ads. That is a, a recurrent problem I know that you have struggled with. Uh, thank you for your service in destroying your algorithms for us. Love the show, Allison. Um, oh, gut health is such a tough concept because is it possible to um, – uh, well, certainly – are, can we eat in ways that make it harder for us to maintain good gut health? Meaning like we poop regularly and we don't, you know, we don't get constipated. We're not having diarrhea. We're not vomiting. We're able to digest food at a typical rate. Like, I mean, when I when we hear gut health, that's what I'm thinking, right? Is it, can you eat in ways that will make that harder? Yeah. Yeah. Like you don't get enough fiber, for instance. Um, so and definitely- And there is good health in the sense that like, if you have an antibiotic, it can wipe out your gut flora, right? For sure, for sure. And so there are definite, and like when you travel and you become, you come into contact with different microbes that are native to different parts of the world, and then you can develop something like traveler's diarrhea. That has to do with like different gut health, different gut flora, the bacteria that live in our guts and different, depending on where we live and what we eat and who we live with and mm -hmm. all that stuff. Anyway. I think there is the function of the GI tract, which is a real thing that can be affected by a number of nutritional and, and activity-based things because a lot of this gets tied into like exercise stuff too. If you're not getting up and moving enough, you'll get constipated. Yeah. One of the ways that we fight constipation is by regular movement, body movement. If you want regular movements. <laughs> have regular movements. Have regular movements. <laughs> so like, yes, all these things impact that. But then I think there's this other idea of gut health that gets into that again, that pseudoscientific wellness space yeah. where they're mainly they're selling you supplements, mm -hmm. which is, again, red flags. If somebody is telling you to do or not to do something for your health so they can sell a product to you, That's, what's their motivation? Yeah, why? You have to question that. And then when people start to just generally suggest you to eliminate different food groups mm -hmm. for your gut health, I think gluten is a great example of this. Dairy gets this too. Yeah. Just eliminate it and your gut health will improve. Um, these are pseudoscientific claims. Nobody can just make that blanket statement that eliminating something will make you feel better without actually doing any sort of evaluation to see if that is a problem for you. So I, I gut health is a real thing. And certainly if your gut isn't functioning well, diarrhea, constipation, can't eat, nauseous all the time, vomiting, any of those things, please go get checked out to have your gut health evaluated. Um, but if everything's working fine, then that would tell me your gut health is probably doing okay. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. Uh, okay. Just real quick, because you you know what? You, yeah. You put these in. Let's just I can be them. quick. I have been getting targeted ads for leggings that burn calories. That's from Van. <laughs> Sydney, is that anything? No. Target, the <laughs> leggings can't burn calories. Uh, what they claim and what I think they're trying to get away with, they have really tight areas. They have almost like resistant bands. I looked up these leggings. There's a bunch of different brands, by the way. And they're like... Uh, the resistance bands are like built into the leggings, and so they squeeze certain areas just super make, tightly, just to make the everyday life just harder. <laughs> they're, well, they're real occlusive. They'll make you sweat more there, probably, and so you'll have some more insensible water loss when you exercise or when you walk. Like you'll lose more fluids through your skin. So, if any change on the scale is happening, I would say it's because you're dehydrate like it's make it's the same as like sweating out a bunch yeah. you didn't really lose weight if you lost it through fluid if they do anything it's that but that's not what they're not burning calories that's not 
true. <laughs> Here's a good question from V. If I can catch the flu and other viruses by drinking from somebody else's glass, why can't I just take my vaccine as a pill? I, I thought this was a really great question to introduce the idea that it would be great if we had more pill vaccines, oral vaccines, right? Yeah. Wouldn't that as, be great? Especially as a parent of two kids that are absolute maniacs when it comes to getting shots. Like, different people. Like, I don't recognize them no. when, when they're getting shots. They but this, are unhinged. Now, this last round where they got their COVID they boosters did, and their flu really shots. They did actually. Which all of us got our COVID boosters and our flu shots. Reminder, would, folks. Yes. You're behind it's not the a, times. I just called it a booster name. three times. You can't let me do it. It's not a booster. It's what? the the most recent COVID vaccine. It's not a booster. It's different. Oh, really? The, the newest COVID vaccine. I thought it was a booster. No, it was not a booster. But a lot of people, it doesn't really matter. The point is, get the get the new COVID vaccine, get the flu shot. It's a good idea. Anyway, aside from that, why don't we have more oral vaccines? They're harder to make. That's a good question. It would be easier. It's easier to inject some of these substances mm -hmm. in, you know, the way that we inject them into the muscle um, and deliver them slowly to trigger that immune response. Because that's what you're doing, right? You're taking right. a piece of something and then making your immune system learn how to fight it. It's a lot easier to do that if you just inject it into someone. Because your stomach and your acid is hardwired to like, oh, look at this. This doesn't belong here. Let's get rid of that. Like, we'll take care of this for you. No problem. You have a ton of defenses exactly built into your GI tract so that once you put that in your stomach, one, it, our GI tract's job is in part to break things down. So it's going to start trying to destroy everything you just put in there. Right. And two, you have a lot of infection barriers um, in your GI tract because we eat and drink that way. And mm. so it needs to be a, um, the security system needs to be better in your GI tract, uh, because that's a good way for invaders to get in. Mm -hmm. So it would be, it's harder to make a vaccine that both will trigger an immune response, will get through those mucosal barriers in order to make your immune response happen. Um, but also, uh, won't get eliminated by the immune function of your gut, by the digestive function of your gut, all that is, stuff. Is nasal easier? Because mm -hmm. nasal is easier gut, too. I guess. Nasal is easier too. Well, you're getting it absorbed directly through those membranes into the bloodstream, mm -hmm. and you don't have all of the other properties you do in the GI tract. But but it's harder. It's just a harder delivery method. I think that that would be. I, I know I found papers on that as an area of exploration. When can we do this more effectively? How do we how do we combat all that? Because it would be easier. We know we would get better compliance. More people would take the vaccines if they were oral. Um, and there are some examples, by the way. There are some oral vaccines out there. The typhoid vaccine that I took in the past was an oral vaccine. Um, so we can do it. It's just a lot harder to make that vaccine. And, it, that's imp and it's important to remember that's because even though you can get infected with viruses through the mouth, as our listener pointed out, the job of a virus is to infect you, I guess, if a virus has a job. That's what it's trying to do. The job of a vaccine is not to infect you. If the vaccines could make you sick, the way a lot of people think like the flu shot can give you the flu, it cannot, it cannot. If it could, if that's what you were trying to do, it would probably be a lot easier just to squirt it in your mouth. But we're not trying to give you the flu. We're trying to protect you from getting the flu in the future. So, um, Hey, folks, thank you so much for listening. Thanks to the taxpayers for use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Hey, Listen, right now, I need you to head on over to bit.ly forward slash Candle Nights 2023. That's where you can spend just five, just five bucks and be able to watch Candle Nights, our virtual spectacular December 16th 
And that's going to be at 9 p.m. EST. Uh, we're going to have special guests. It's going to have uh, songs. It's going to have fun. It's going to have everything. And all of the donations, uh, all the money that we raise from this goes to Harmony House, which is, I don't know, Sid, can you help me out? Uh, Harmony House is a local day shelter for people experiencing homelessness here in Huntington, where I provide uh, volunteer medical care. Um, it's the hub of our um, coordination, of our continuum of care for people experiencing homelessness in this area. It's where we provide um, housing services, food, clothes, uh, hygiene, you know, access to a warm place to be, showers, all those things, um, and supportive services in a for a variety of other um they, they've conditions. Come, they've come to really rely on this fundraiser annually, and we are so appreciative to everybody that always kicks in. If you can give more than five bucks, that is uh, so appreciated, um, and we really appreciate it. Bit.ly forward slash Candle Nights 2023. You don't just have to watch it when it's live. It will go live at 9 p.m., but um, it, it'll be on uh, on demand for like two weeks afterwards, so you can continue to enjoy it. Um, thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song medicines as the intro and outro program. I don't remember if I said that already, but that's twice for them. Good on them. Uh, and that's going to do it for us for this week. Until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.